coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. And now serving our spring drinks. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, it's Leanna. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a second to thank you for listening. The fact that you chose this episode out of the millions of podcast episodes that are out there, that's pretty cool. We'd love it if you left us a review, subscribed, shared us with a friend. And if there's something you want to see us talk about on Hometown Stories, just let us know. Send an email to hometownstories at wdbj7.com. Okay, now let's settle in for today's episode. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great now that we are reaching out and acknowledging her as a, as a human being, not just a cell. All of us have benefited in some way from the immortal cells of Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta is a lifesaver and a game changer and a woman that we should all appreciate and recognize. And, and that's why I want to memorialize her here in Roanoke City. The Game Changer was also a wife, a mother, and a friend. She was a cancer patient and a source for research that would change the world, but not without pain and heartache and mistrust. Her ordinary life is now being recognized for its extraordinary reaches. Hers is a story that begins in Roanoke. In this episode of Hometown Stories, a look at the latest efforts to honor Henrietta Lacks in her hometown and the ways her story is being preserved to become as immortal as her famous cells. So let's start with a little background about Henrietta Lacks if you're not familiar with her story. She was born in 1920 in Roanoke City, over on 12th Street Southwest, just a mile away from a plaza now bearing her name. By adulthood, Henrietta was living in Baltimore County, Maryland, with a family of her own. In 1951, she was treated at Johns Hopkins Hospital for cervical cancer, undergoing rounds of radium treatments. Without her knowledge or consent, some of Henrietta's cells were taken from her and studied in a lab. Whereas other cells quickly died off, her cells, nicknamed Gila cells, not only lived, but they doubled. Researchers took advantage of this inexplicable feature. Dr. Michael Friedlander, executive director of the Fralin Biomedical Institute in Roanoke, explained to my colleague Joda Scheel just how far her cells have gone for science. And as it turns out, that's been used in many, many very important uh, experiments and medical breakthroughs, including uh, the polio virus work by Jonas Salk, required the HeLa cells, uh, many other major advances. HeLa cells have even been credited for assisting in the creation of our COVID vaccines. But Henrietta would never know the implications of her immortal cells. 
She died of cancer at age 31. Today, Johns Hopkins says the institution should have communicated more with her family about her illness and treatment. While they say the collection and use of her cells back then for research was an acceptable and legal practice, such a thing today would not happen without the patient's consent. Today, more work is being done to recognize these past wrongs and honor her legacy. In February, Virginia's General Assembly declared October 4th Henrietta Lacks Day in the Commonwealth. Hampton Delegate Jawan Ward sponsored the resolution. Here she is paying tribute to Lacks during a floor session in the House of Delegates. Exactly 72 years after her death, on October the 4th this year, we will be able to recognize and celebrate all that she has done for medicine. And yes, we will be able to recognize this woman a black woman, Henrietta Lacks, a true daughter of the Commonwealth. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In July of 2021, Roanoke City Council voted to name a plaza outside the municipal building for Henrietta Lacks. It was once home to a monument honoring Robert E. Lee. In July of 2020, while council was discussing the monument's future, a local man toppled it with ropes attached to his truck. In August of that year, city council voted unanimously to officially remove it. In December, the city hosted an event at Lacks Plaza, where well-known civil rights attorney Ben Crump addressed these ongoing efforts to emphasize Henrietta's story. I join you and your entire family that's here and abroad to acknowledge the city of Roanoke, Virginia, making right a historic wrong. I want to thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, and all the leaders for making this right wrong finally. Henrietta's son, grandson, and cousin joined the crowd that cold December day. Ron Lax told WDBJ7 it was important for him to be a voice for his grandmother. Henrietta's looking down and, and, and proud of what I accomplished of not just making her a human being, but eliminating the uh, the myths that were said about her, about being illiterate. You know, she wasn't. It was also at that event that two local artists began unveiling the plan to bring a new statue to Lax Plaza, where a monument to Robert E. Lee once stood will come a larger-than-life statue of the larger-than-life woman. My colleague Isabella Ladon was at that event and has followed up with local leaders on the plan to honor Henrietta. She walks us through how the statue came to be, starting with the perspective from Roanoke City Council member Trish White Boyd. She was kind of explaining the story of what had happened and originally it was Lee Plaza and Roanoke City Council decided that it was time to rename, restructure, rethink this plaza because Lee was not representative of who Roanoke City is or was. I mean, it was just time for that statue to be removed. Um, Lee was just not representative of Roanoke City and who we are today. And so that's what people wanted. They wanted it taken down and they celebrated that. And they were thinking of historical figures that they could rename the plaza after and they didn't want to take away from Freedom Plaza from our veterans. So Trisha told me that as a compromise, they decided to split the plaza, half being 
what would be renamed later as Locks Plaza, and then half would be Freedom Plaza. So it could both honor the veterans, and it would also honor someone who was very influential for Roanoke's history. Henrietta is a lifesaver and a game changer and a woman that we should all appreciate and recognize. And, and that's why I want to memorialize her here in Roanoke City. And this is part of the Hidden Histories Project, which we learned a little bit about last year. Um, how is that going to come into play incorporating Lax Plaza now? So Hidden Histories has a really significant part of the Henrietta Lax statue because it is now going to educate others on who Henrietta was. So we have the physical statue, but the Hidden Histories is kind of the driving force behind it of who she was, educating what her contributions were, and getting the word out about everything that she did. And it's not just Henrietta Lacks. The Hidden Histories Project includes dozens of influential Black leaders throughout Virginia and across our country. So this project is really kind of spearheading the educational component, not just dedicating a statue, but letting people know who she was, why she was important, and her contributions to all of society but she started here in Roanoke. She was born here in Roanoke. So the Hidden Histories Project is kind of the driving force behind the fundraising and the educational component. And additionally, there's going to be a documentary explaining who Henrietta Lacks was that will also come with the statue. Roanoke City Council raised more in funding than what they originally thought. So the extra funding, that's going to go to promoting the documentary. So the two go hand in hand. There's a lot of collaboration between the Hidden Histories Project based out in Richmond and our Roanoke City leaders who have been doing on-the-ground efforts to make, make this statue a reality here. And the funding that you mentioned, did that come out of budgeting from council or was it fundraised elsewhere? Do you know where the funding is coming from? Yes. So it's a little bit from city council, a little bit from Hidden Histories, and it's a lot of donations from across the country. When I was talking with Trish, she said that they had gotten the word out. They had spearheaded fundraising efforts through events. All of this has happening during global pandemic, of course. Uh, and they, the original goal was to raise $160,000. They actually raised closer to $180,000. Trish was telling me that these checks came in from South Carolina, Arkansas, all across the country. People heard about it. People knew about it. They said, I want to contribute to this statue. It's the first of its kind where Roanoke City leaders are working with the family of Henrietta Lacks so that they have contribution. They have an input on what's going on. So it just kind of blew up like wildfire. And that's where the majority of the donations and the money has come from, is the donations. And you were there for the unveiling of the image, right? And her family, right? Outside of City Hall? Yes. Yeah, so I was there uh, outside of City Hall in what will be Lax Plaza. And her family was there. Uh, ben Crump, civil rights attorney, he was there. Here we are I had no idea that Henrietta Lacks was born in Roanoke. I learned about her in school. I learned about her in high school, learned about her immortal HeLa cells. To be able to stand in the town, in the community where she was born and where she came from, where her roots are, that was really cool. Um, I was able to speak with her grandson who explained to me how important this was, that the family is a part of this process. I think they see in her more as a human being, a, a wife a mother. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's great now that we are reaching out and acknowledging her as a, a, as a human being, not just a self. Of course, we know the story of Henrietta Lacks. She did not know what was going on. 
her family didn't know that her cells were used. Um, and we're grateful that she has contributed so much to the medical world. But when I was talking with her grandson, he said, we don't know if that was right. We don't know if that was ethically okay. So by contributing to this, we're recognizing her accomplishments, but now we have a say in it. And now we have a say in how her history is told. Mm. What's the timeline? Like when should we expect to see the statue up in real life? So rough timeline is October, November of 2023. The There hasn't been a set date yet, but we can expect it by late fall of 2023. And that's when we're going to get the actual statue. When I was talking with artists and when I was talking with Trish, they said that the statue will, will probably be bigger than Henrietta Lacks actually was. <laughs> she was a very petite woman. <laughs> she was very small. The statue was going to be about six feet tall. Um, and when I was talking with the artist, they said they intentionally wanted to do that because she is such a grand figure in our history. Even though she was physically small, her stature is immense. And it is, she just has huge contributions. So they wanted to reflect that in her statue. She wasn't actually six feet tall. She was actually pretty <laughs> little. Um, but they wanted to reflect that she was really larger than life and she just has contributed so much. So as I mentioned, there are two artists involved in this project. Bryce Cobbs draws hyper-realistic portraits of people of color, and Larry Bechtel dives into the stories of his subjects before sculpting them. Together, the two men are tasked with bringing Henrietta to life, Bechtel basing his sculpture off Cobbs' drawing of Henrietta. My colleague Janae Reese met with both men to learn more about their artistic process. Let's talk about uh, the artists and the stories behind how the statue came to be. And the inception of the statue actually started with a drawing for from artist Bryce Cobbs. And Janae, you had a chance to meet him, stop by his studio, learn yes. a little bit more about him and how he became involved in this project. So how did his involvement and his journey in this project begin? Well, Bryce is really talented. Um, he kind of shared with me how he began his journey as an artist, how he figured out he had a knack, he had a talent, he had a passion, he had a love for drawing and bringing images to life. It was my junior year of high school. Um, I just, I've always been, like I said, I've always drawn and always loved to draw, like even in elementary school. I have pictures from my elementary school classes where I was drawing in my notebooks, all the projects where we had to do art. I was like the main person that really wanted to do all the drawings and stuff like that. So I've been drawing for a long time. Where does his inspiration come from? And I've seen some of his art and you mentioning that it comes to life. I feel like that is so true because his mm -hmm. drawings are so crazy lifelike. They're unreal. So what what is his inspiration be behind his art? Oh, he talked a lot about music, about his community. He lives in Roanoke. He was born and raised in Roanoke. and. His home is his inspiration, his family is his inspiration, his friends are his inspiration, and he's also inspired by a lot of his favorite artists. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about uh, Kahindi Wiley, someone he goes and talks about a lot, someone he loves. And if you look at who they draw and how and where they draw their inspiration from, they both draw their inspiration from people. And that's why I think he's so inspired by him and the people that he's surrounded by. Kahindi Wiley, like Kahindi Wiley is my favorite, favorite artist right now. Um, he does, um, he does realism and he paints 
all his subjects are black. He paints black subjects all the time. And I think that's really, really important and really, really special because he puts black people at the center of the subject and forces people to look. And I think I really do respect that. And that's how I kind of want to approach my work is I want to force people to look at what I'm working on and look at what I'm painting. Not for a personal gratification feeling, but because I think that it's important. That it's a story that needs to be told. And I have, I have the ability to tell the story. So I really want people to know and, and, look at what, and look at what I'm doing and appreciate what I'm doing. And I kind of respect him because he inspired me to do that. And I think uh, the video that I saw, most of the canvases on his wall are, are drawings mm -hmm. of people of color, right? Yes. If not all, I, yes. I want to say. Yes, if not all, yes. And some of the people he doesn't even know. They're just people that he decided to draw. Like he day. dreamed up? Yes. Wow. Like he dreamed up. So it was really cool to see his mind on a canvas in a way, the way that he sees color, the way that he sees people's emotions and their expressions. There's one piece, if you look back in the story, um, where he drew a picture of his friend, but he drew another image in gold on top of it. So depending on where you look at the photo or what side of the room you're looking at, or look which side of the place you're looking at the canvas, you'll see a different side of her. You'll see a different shade of gold or a different side of both the gold and the person that is golden in a way. I personally just love realism. I love being able to translate what I see directly onto the canvas and then pushing it just a little bit further past realism with some of my other pieces where I have these other elements and bringing other, other things in. Try to make the audience and the viewer kind of think more and not just it's not just a boring, like, static piece. I like to have a little bit of extra elements in it to kind of grip the artist or grip the uh, audience's attention and try to make them look at the art in another way. And what I think is really cool, as we mentioned, that the statue is a collaboration, mm -hmm. an artist, a drawer, a sketcher, and then a sculptor. And it's interesting too, because they're two very different artists, uh, different people, different white, ages. black, different yes. ages, different mm -hmm. mediums. Um, so the sculptor is uh, Lawrence or Larry Bechtel, who lives in Blacksburg. And you also went to his studio. Yes. Uh, what was that experience like? You walk in, it's small. But then there's another door in the back where it extends and he said he's going to extend it to make it bigger but you walk in and it's made for one person and one person to kind of zone in on his art and when you sit down and when you talk with larry you can literally see that's exactly the kind of sculptor artist he is he likes it it to be just him and the work it is a commitment to keep clarifying the piece. I start out with an idea, conceptualizing an idea in form, and then sharpening and sharpening and sharpening and sharpening and sharpening, like adjusting the lens of a camera so that, okay, I've got it now. You know, it might be a long time before I get there, and I'm likely to change, if it's a full figure, I might change the posture a number of times. The two busts that he has on display at the Montgomery County Museum in Christiansburg of Isaac and Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, he built the bust, but he also built the bust of his former slave, Isaac. And he was just so captivated by that story and building this man that he ended up writing three books about him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So 
what went into the art wasn't just the artistry, but a story. Yes. It sounds like. Wow. Yeah. And that's what he, he says. He says, you know, you can paint a picture, you can paint this, you can build this, but if you don't know the person, how are you able to make other people know that person when they're finished looking at it? I try to pr uh, produce a physiological portrait, but also a psychological and emotional one. So when I look at Bryce's drawings here, I see pride, I see strength, I see determination, I see optimism. So that's, those are the internal engines which I am trying to animate by means of the physical structure, the physical sculpture. We couldn't get it on video, but he kind of showed me how he was able to take Bryce's work and begin describing her. And he did have Bryce's sketches of her on a wall in the room, but he also had photos of her. He had photos of people she was with, the very few photos of her, and he constantly hangs them up there as a reminder of the kind of woman she was and the kind of woman he wants people, not just him, but both of them, wants people to remember for who she was and what she continues to do for society today. I think what intrigues me most about Henrietta Lacks is how extraordinary her story is, how extraordinary her legacy is, but truly how ordinary her life was prior to this point of her cancer diagnosis and everything. I wonder how it strikes you, because I wonder if she were alive today to see the honoring of her legacy and the recognition of the wrongs that were done to her and the amazing things that were done subsequently, I find myself wondering what would she think of a statue of her. Do you think about that? Or what is it that you ponder thinking about here's coming this life-size statue of Henrietta? I would literally put myself in her shoes and I wouldn't believe that someone is building a statue of me because of what's inside of me. It's able to change millions and billions of lives. I couldn't believe it. And I would honestly thank God, the universe for allowing me and my body to be able to do something for so many people. Under the circumstances, it was wrong and it was a it was a hard story, but it's a story that lived on and is being corrected and being remembered in a great way. Just I, I honestly don't even know what she would think. You just I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it that me, an ordinary person, is able to change the lives of billions. And importantly, this project has the support of her family as well. Yes. As well. Yes. I wish I had a chance to meet her family. I would have given them a big hug and to say thank you. Because something that means a lot to me is legacy. And they're continuing to honor her legacy and to make sure that it continues to live on, that it stands as strong as the statue that's being built in her honor. What was it like? Because, you know, we've seen the sketch from Bryce. So we have an idea of kind of the direction that the statue is going to go in. But when you got an opportunity to kind of delve into the individuals behind the work and see the work that they had done prior to this, what was that like for you in imagining what this project is gonna be? I see why the Roanoke City officials chose them. Because of the close eye and how, I see why they chose them because Larry pays more attention to who she was versus just the work of art. He pays 
very close attention to the woman she was, the ordinary woman she was, a lot of people like to say, and I see why, because both of them, although they're two different artists, in their own way, they both pay attention to the things that represent her. Mm. Bryce's close eye and attention to detail, to emotion, and Larry's close eye and attention to the character, to building her from the inside out. He told me, talking a little bit about it, he said, you know, he wanted to pay attention to the coils of her hair. He wanted people to look at the statue and know that she was a black woman. So I see why they were chosen and I'm excited to see it. Like I, he tells me every nook and cranny. He wants, when people look at her hand, when people look at her shoes, when they look at the stitches on her dress, they want it to see, they want it to look like it's actual, like she's actually there. They want it to look like she's actually there. Henrietta's statue is in the works now. Bechtel says if all goes according to plan, we should see the unveiling by October 2023. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Requelmy. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.